prepare us. Uh, would your spirit continue to work in this, in our hearts, in this place, um, as, as we study your word today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Brad. I think I, 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 I know some of you. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, I get hooked on these, uh, well, first of all, before we get into that, Morgan reminded, everyone know Morgan? She really loves to be stared at. She's right there. Hi, Morgan. This Friday, there is a ladies' night in. Uh, and uh, it's right up here off of 24th at this place called Mabel. It's a coffee, st- coffee place. We got the entire place. It's going to be closed, but not to us because we're special, right? Okay. She hates this, and, I, and I'm, I'm loving that she hates this. So, uh, ladies, it's Ladies Night In at, at a coffee place. It starts at 6. And why are you mean? <laughs> you told me to do this. And I, yeah, so this, this, this Friday, <laughs> ladies night in, and I told you I was going to do this. So anyways, ladies night in, it's at Mabel this Friday night, uh, stop by, coffee, stuff, I imagine there'll be treats, right? Yeah, yeah, if you never do listen to me, it's, it's, it's okay. Anyway, so that's happening, make sure you go by there uh, this Friday. Okay, I think that's it, right? If you have any questions, we know who Morgan is now. Morgan, will you stand for us? No? Okay. No. Yeah. No, you don't. Don't stand. I'm afraid of what you'll throw at me. Uh, I get hooked on these Netflix shows that go back into, uh, like, documentaries of how things started and, or, or how close of a call we actually had. So there's this Netflix series called Close Calls with Terrorism. Weird, right? Yeah. But it, it's fascinating because it goes through, like, how close did that plane come to getting, you know, attacked and the, 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 the key decisions that caused us to find out? And so it's like things that have been declassified and some things that still aren't and they can just kind of talk around it. And it's fascinating to see how quickly things started, how quickly things got uh, taken care of and how things got diffused, literally in some cases, and we don't know about it. And so it, it's just these fascinating, I, I get, Carrie comes home and she sees me watching this and she goes, please turn this off, I never want to fly again. Uh, but it's, it's these shows that, that show you these key decisions that happen at very important p- places in time that changed everything. And, and I, I love watching them, I love getting involved in the stories, and you can read people like World War I and II, these biographies of decisions that took place that changed the whole outcome of, of the battles. Uh, you can look at it in uh, biographies of presidents, what happened at certain points that changed the trajectory of history. I'm fascinated by it. In the book of Acts in Scripture, we have that kind of... Uh, documentary happening. If you look at the New Testament, you have uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have Acts, and then you have everything else that goes behind it. Now, the book of Acts, Acts, <laughs> the book of Acts is a backbone. The book of Acts acts like a backbone to the rest of Scripture. In Acts, you see all of Paul's missionary journeys, and then when you're done with Acts, you get to see all the letters that Paul wrote to those churches that he planted in the book of Acts. So when you're reading Romans, you can go back and, oh, when did Paul go to Rome? Oh, it's right around here. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at this church in Thessalonica. And Paul planted this church in Acts 17. And when he planted it, he planted it and and it caused a riot. 
literally a riot. The people didn't like what Paul was doing. It was changing the way they lived. This church was changing everything about the city, and they felt like it, it was a threat. And so they started rioting. And, and, and what you see in Acts is you see this group of people who actually believed everything that they heard about Christ, and it changed everything. It changed their cities, it changed their lives, it changed their families. It comes to this, this statement here, the proof that we believe something isn't just that we might agree with it, that we read it, we digest it, and we say yes to it. The proof that we believe something is that we live it out and that we act on it. And this is what you see in the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, these groups of people that believed it and acted it out. And so when we get to Acts 17, we see Paul in Thessalonica, and read with me in verse 5. Uh, what Paul would do is he would go to these places and, and, and he would instantly, the first thing that he would do is go to the Jewish synagogue. Paul was Jewish. He was a Jewish teacher. He knew these people. He had credibility. He would go into the synagogues and then he would teach them about Jesus. He would talk about all the things that he did. He would talk about how the, the Hebrew scriptures points to Christ. And then from the Jewish synagogue, he would there plant his church out of that. He would say, look, your scriptures are pointing to Christ. This is, who, this is who the Messiah was. And because of the Messiah, we have a new king. Now follow me. We're going to go worship him. And people would go, you're right. And they would follow him. Or they would go, you're a heretic. Let's kill you. It was either or. It was either hot or cold. In Thessalonica, he plants this church. Uh, and, and here's what happens in verse 5. Other Jews were so jealous that they ran, rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Then they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas to bring them out of the crowd. Uh, and, and then in verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers, this is believers in the Messiah, believers in Christ, uh, before the city officials. And they said, These men have caused trouble all around the world, and now they have come here. That's what the NIV reads. If you go back into the languages, a better translation is this. Not that they've caused trouble, but it says, so we'll go back to, it would say, these people have been turning this world upside down. And I love the way it translates. So they had this normal way of living life. They had their normal, where this is where we go shopping. This is what we do. This is our political system. And these people are turning it all upside down. And I love it. Because these people believed in Christ so much that they acted upon it. And now they were turning their worlds upside down. Or I would argue that they were probably turning their worlds right side up. Because things had gotten so messy since everything that they needed to figure out which way was right. And here comes Christ. Here comes the Messiah. A new king is in town. A new king's on the throne. And things are being set right. And, I, and, and what I love about this is you can now go to the book of Thessalonians and start to pick out the things that they were doing that were right, that were upsetting the entire social economic uh, structures of that day. And when we do that, I think what we see with Paul is that we get some New Year's resolutions from this. Now, Paul lists about 17 to 19 things in the book of Thessalonians, so we're going to be here a while. Kidding. Uh, he lists 17 to 19 things, which is true. I want to focus on three of them today. Paul gives us three New Year's resolutions that we, as a community of Bethany Ballard, can embody something that we already embody. But all of this, I believe, will turn our worlds upside down. The first one that he mentions, it's in your bulletin, is that he says, build endurance. 
The church in Thessalonica was born in a riot. There were people who instantly did not like the church in Thessalonica. Persecution was happening. They were being drugged in front of the city officials. They had to pay bail. They had to get out of jail. Some of them were still in jail. And so Paul says, build endurance. Like, keep up this. This is what I want you to do. Keep up the good work. Paul's worried a little bit. Uh, He's the father of this church. uh, And parents, uh, for those who are parents, you worry about your children. When they're going through a hard time, when Judah or Caleb have been sick, Carrie and I worry about them. My mom, and I bet you your parents, worried about you. Uh, It's just something that folks and parents do. My mom tells me that she used to lay awake at night when I wasn't home and just wait until I was in the house, the door locked, and safe. Uh, She would play all the disasters uh, in, in her mind as she's laying there. Dad fell asleep at 8.30, didn't care. Uh, And it was probably in front of the television with his hand on the remote so no one can change the channel in the event that he woke up and wanted to finish his movie. But parents worry. Paul's worried. He's worried that they won't have the endurance uh, to keep up with the persecution that's surrounding them. Because when trials come, and trials do come, we're told in James to simply expect them that they're coming, uh, the temptation is to give up. Endurance is one of those things that it's sort of like patience. You have to learn it on the job. You can't just say, I'm going to learn endurance and then not build endurance. When you're a runner, uh, when you want to run a marathon, you've got to run a mile first and survive that before you can run two and you build it up. Endurance is something that's built on the job. And Paul's concerned as the persecution comes that they're going to fade away that the whispers will get a little bit too loud for them, that, that, that when, when the whispers come, when the riots start happening again, that they'll think, is this even worth it? Is following Christ even worth the trouble that I'm going through now? And as the trials get harder and harder, as, as the persecution gets harder and harder, those voices that start as whispers become shouts, and then pretty soon it's give up. And so Paul wants them to have endurance. And because of this, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, he sends Timothy. He calls him a brother and a co-worker, proclaiming the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith, so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that you are destined for this. And so Paul's saying, look, we expected this kind of thing to happen. Remember when we started this church? Riots. Persecution was bound to happen but I want you to keep your faith. I want you to hold on to this. He knew that was going to happen, and so Paul's saying, I'm a concerned dad here, and I want to make sure you're holding on to this. And then he says, he sent Timothy, and then Timothy came back with a message that they're doing fine, and Paul says, oh, good. It's sort of like when I walked in the house when I was late, and mom heard I was home. I can hear her light turning off. I can hear her breathing like, oh, good. Everyone's home. Uh, I don't have to wait up. We don't have to worry. You're not going to abandon the faith. Paul's hope is that in the middle of their difficulties, they would endure. We have difficulties. There's times in the Christian faith where things happen. 
Uh, we're not persecuted like in some places in the world. Uh, we're, I don't know if any of you had to lose the FBI on the way here and, and, and kind of duck behind dumpsters in order to get here. We don't have that type of persecution. I have friends who are missionaries in those countries, and they have to do that. And we pray for them. We don't have that type of persecution here. But we have whispers. We have things that pop up in life. We have events that don't go our way. We have trials. Just because we live here, we're not having to run for our life, doesn't mean that we don't have issues and things that that, that make us doubt our faith. And doubting the faith is not the problem. It's sometimes those doubts win. And those doubts become too big. And then the persecution or the temptation is is to follow those whispers and then not endure. Paul says you're going to have these things. James says you're going to have trials. In every one of the places where Paul plants a church, he says watch out for this. Endure, endure, endure. Life's going to happen. But in the middle of those trials, Paul also gives us a promise. If you endure, you'll see Christ move in ways that you've never expected him to move. He says this to Romans in in chapter 5, and I'll read this from the message because I think it it kind of encapsulates it a little bit better. He says, We continue to shout praise when we're hemmed in by troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives in, through the Holy Spirit in times of trouble. In times of trouble where we think that God's not working, he's pouring something into your life. One author said your life is full of battles on one side and blessings on the other. And sometimes they ride side by side at the same time. You'll have a battle you're going through. You're trying something. Something's happened in your life and it's causing you to to doubt. It's causing you to get more and more frustrated. You're thinking of turning away. You have a battle. But usually right next to it is a blessing. Or sometimes you go through the battle and on the far side is a blessing. Life is hemmed in by battles and blessings. In every single aspect of life there's a battle and there's a blessing. If you give in to the battles too quickly, Paul says here in Romans, you'll never see the blessing. You'll never see God working because you've given up. That's the thing with endurance. If you ever want to run a race, endurance means you have to finish it. Endurance means finishing what God has started in this. Paul talks about it in in, in Philippians. God started something in you. He's working. God has the endurance to keep going. Do you? Battles and blessings. We've seen this in our community here at Bethany Baller. We've seen people go through battles. And, and with things with the, the battles is that they encourage the people around them. I've been encouraged by watching Amy walk through her cancer battle. Well, I'm pointing you out. You didn't know this was coming. The way, the way that she handled it. Dixie Benny, John's wife, going through cancer and going through the treatments. And you see the way these women have had faith that God is going to heal them in this, the families. And you see their endurance through this. That's a battle. And I've gotten to be blessed by it. Because we see the faith constantly be built and built and built and built. And then God's working it. It's a battle. It's a blessing. 
And you, everyone is, is blessed by it when you look at it. Paul says when you get these things, when you have these battles, watch for the blessings. That's the only way you're going to be able to endure what's happening to you right now. Yes, there's riots. And people are telling you those whispers are getting louder. Those people are telling you to quit and quit and quit and quit. Don't. Because in order to see the blessing, you got to hang on. Those who persevere are the only ones who are going to win. If you quit, you're never going to win the game. Keep going. Keep battling. In order and have your eyes open. Because in the middle of the battle, you're going to see a blessing. And in order to see the blessings, we have to endure. And so Paul says, first resolution for you, endure. Endure, endure, endure. You'll see the blessing. The next resolution he has for us is to love one another. So you're enduring, and then you're loving one another. He says in uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we're looking in verse 9. Sorry about this. I don't know what's going on. It'll it'll work itself out. In verse 9, Now concerning love of the brothers and sisters... You do not need to have anyone write you for yourself, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more. In other words, hey, y'all are doing a great job at this. You love each other well. And it's not just in your church. It's not just in the city of Thessalonica. He, he names the whole region of Macedonia. He says, everybody knows that you love well, they raised money. We read about this in Corinthians. They raised money for churches throughout the throughout the throughout the, the region. They sent money back to the church in Jerusalem when they were being persecuted. This church loves people well, and the thing was, they weren't that well off to send money to, but they loved people, and so they did what they could, and they were generous, and they helped each other out. But Paul's talking a little bit more about something or something deeper than just love. When we think love, we think of emotions, we think of the, the goosebumps. Paul is saying that there's a deeper thing to love. When we think love, I can say I love bacon, I love golf, and I love my wife and kids in the same sentence, and that we all make sense, right? But hopefully there's a little bit a little bit of a difference between bacon and golf and carry. And she'll argue which one I love more every once in a while. But, you know, there's a difference in our depths of love. Paul says, you endure, but I want you to love. So when he says love here, he's talking about taking care of one another. He's saying, watch out for each other. You're already doing this. You're already watching for the best interest. That's what love is. Love is putting the other person's interest before yours. Wishing that they would win. Putting them in front of you. It's a love that was modeled by God when he sent Christ to the cross. He said, because of this love, he'll lay down his life for his friends. This is the love that that he's talking about here. And he doesn't have to convince them of it. He says, you're already doing it. Do it more. Keep going with this. But there's a warning that comes with this love. Uh, there are people in the church, and Paul addresses this in other places uh, in, in the book. And the, the love that he's saying is that to, watch, uh, to, to love and to love well means to take care of each other. But with the care, to love also means not to sponge and mooch too much off of other people. Do we see the difference? That sometimes loving means that there's an end to how far, how far you go because if to truly love and be loved means 
that we're all able to work to contribute. Paul says we care for one another. But in our caring, there has to be uh, the ability for everyone to carry their own load. And there's sometimes where folks can't carry the unlo- their own load and they get help. And then the, the, the whole point of loving them is so that they are then able to pick up the load and carry as well. We watch out for each other, but we all contribute. Everybody contributes. Uh, he says in verse 11, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs. Here where it says, to work with your own hands. As, uh, as we directed you. To aspire means to live, to, to live peacefully. Means that we, that we love and we put other people before ourselves. Because when your eyes are only on you, what happens is you're not really loving each other. You're loving yourself. Living quietly means, means that we mind our own business. We're not always prying into what others might be doing under the disguise of prayer requests. To live quietly means to work hard. And he's saying, yes, we love each other, but the whole opportunity of this is that we work hard. Do, you, do your best to contribute. In other words, work and having a job and finding a job is a good thing. It's how we love. Because when we, make, when we have a job, we then have resources to love other people. See how that goes? And it all comes from God. Work is something that we did in the Garden of Eden. It was good in Genesis 1 and 2. It was made difficult in Genesis 3, but it was never called bad. It was just, now it's just going to be harder. Work is something we do now. It's good. And when we work, we are then given the resources to love somebody, to care. Our resources are meant to bless other people. And then if you look close into the end of Scripture, you'll notice that in eternity, we're working. Work doesn't go away. We're working to build the kingdom. There's work. Work is a good thing. In Ecclesiastes 9, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, work, do it with all your might. In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human masters. So Paul says one of the ways that we care for one another, one of the ways that we continue to love is to work. And by working hard, it prov- God provides us with the resources to provide for others when they need the help that they need. We do a good job at that too. Way to go, Bethany Ballard. We care for one another. I've seen it in gathering groups where they rally around a person and care for them. Whether it's paying the bills, whether it's, it's taking meals, whether it's coming alongside, giving rides to hospitals, uh, waiting in waiting rooms, uh, fixing cars, installing things. I get to hear all the stories. And you all do a great job. We love one another. And we love well. And so just like Paul says to the Thessalonians, I say to you, love more. Keep going. We're doing a good thing. Paul says there's a reason why we do this. Yes, it's Christ. But he says that when you do this, everybody will be noticing this and they'll be going, what on earth is happening there? Look in verse 12. So that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent on no one. In other words, take care of each other. Why? Because there's outside people that are watching you. And they're seeing the way you care for those in your community. They're seeing the way you care for those outside of the church. They're seeing the way you love. And it's turning the world upside down. Take care of each other. 
Take care of the people that are around you. Why? People are watching. In Acts 2, the church grows. This is when the churches began in Acts 2. And it grows and grows and grows. And there's a little key phrase that we'd like to look at in 2.42 that says, because, and they shared everything they had and everyone was taken care of. And that's one of the things that they say, the historians, is what made the church grow. Because people would come and they would be loved and they would be cared for. And it was so counterculture to what was happening in Rome, in Roman society in that day, that people were drawn to it. And it made their church grow because they were loved. We've been on the receiving end of this. Uh, when Caleb was born, we had meals uh, delivered to us. When Judah was born, we had meals delivered to us. It was awesome. And, I remember, and you guys are some good cooks. And I, I've seen us do this for other people in the community. When, uh, when we go to our doctor and they, they always ask this or they always both times have said, do you guys have you know, a community around you that can help you? And I've said, yeah, we haven't cooked in a month. And she looks at us and goes, what? Really? That's awesome. And, and she's an outsider. And we say, yeah, our church has provided us meals. And she just goes, this, this is amazing. Uh, and she's intrigued by this as much as she can be and keep her professionalism there. But she sees the community working towards, and she just goes, this, and I could, I could see the things moving in her head. This isn't normal, but this is awesome. She's an outsider. She's looking in. The way we love each other. And when the outsiders look in, they'll be drawn to this. Jesus talks about this in, in John 13, 35. He says, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. By the way you care for one another. We're doing a good job. Keep going. Do it more. Keep loving one another. We're, uh, and as Paul says it, keep it up. It's great to hear the stories. I want to hear more stories about this and how we love one another. Now here's the other thing. We don't really know how to love a lot of people because we have this thing in Seattle where we don't like to talk about what's going on with us. We like to keep things pretty surfacy. If you need something, let us know. We have a loving community that wants to reach out and help, but we can only do what we need to know. And so if you want, if you need something, we have Stephen's minister uh, in the back that they're looking for ways to care for one another. If you're interested in seeing that, Matt's here. That's one of the ways that we care for you. If you need, if we, we've given rides, if, if there is a need, we'd like the attempt to, to try and solve it. Because we love and we care. We want to get you back on your feet. So let us know. Paul says this, he says, you love, you endure. And the last one is kind of a hard one to talk about because we don't talk about it a lot. He says, there's one thing that's common in all of these letters that we see from Paul is that we take sin seriously. Uh, we don't talk about sin a lot in the church. It's not just Bethany. It's a lot of churches. Sin is one of those things, it's a three-letter word that we treat like a four-letter word and we don't want to talk about it. Uh, we don't want to talk about what we do. We like to explain things away. We keep things secret. And if it's a personal sin, we keep it personal. It's just kind of what we do over here. And, and no one can talk about it. And I don't want to address it. I kind of like it. And this is just what I'm going to do. We don't talk about sin. We'll say things like brokenness. 
We'll say things like guilt. We'll say things like shame. There's a whole bunch of other things that we'll talk about when we want to talk about sin. But we won't talk about sin. Instead, we start talking about the ramifications of sin, the guilt, shame, brokenness. But all of those come from sin. Sin, we defined it, people defined it as anything contrary to the will of God. Great, yes, it's doing something that God said not to do. Absolutely, but it goes deeper than that. Sin, the original sin in Genesis, sin is putting yourself, your desires, your needs, what you want in front of what God wants. And so one author, theologian, says sin at the root of everything is idolatry. It's putting yourself in the place of God. And it makes sense. The first sin that we see in the Bible in Genesis 3, uh, Satan comes in the form of a serpent and says something to Eve and says, you could be like God. Idolatry. It's putting your what you want and your standards Higher than God's standards. And Paul says this, a resolution for the church is that we take sin seriously. That we look at it, that we address it, that we don't give it, and he says this in Ephesians, don't give it any room in your life to grow. Don't give it a foothold. Don't give Satan the ability to work in your life and grow and grow and grow. Uh, he says this in, 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 in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He said, it is God's will, which is awesome because what are we all wondering in life? What is God's will for my life? Here it is, done. That you should be sanctified. He continues, we're going to stop there. Sanctified is one of those big theological words. I think in the NIV, Craig, can you put that back up? In the, in, uh, Sanctified in the NRSV and other translations, it says that you would become saints. Sanctified, sanctification is the big word that's going on here. It's where we get sanctified, it's where we get saints, it's where we get holy. The idea of it is that we are holy, that you might be holy. He says this all through the book of Exodus. He says it in the book of Leviticus. Be holy, set apart, that you would not sin. That you might be made holy. This is the idea. This is the goal that Paul says. This is what God's will is. That we not sin. And then he continues. That you should avoid sexual morality. That each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So it's clear here. Right? Paul says stop it. There's always one of these sections in Paul's letter. Hey, good job, good job, good job. Stop it. He's patting him in the back and kicking him in the butt at the same time. You're doing a good job. And if there's one thing that will ruin everything, you're loving well, you're enduring well, there's 14 other things, but if there's one thing that's going to ruin it all, it's if you don't take sin seriously. He lists a bunch of sexual sins. He lists uh, not acting like the pagans who don't know God. You know God. Now live like it, in other words. Good job, good job, good job. Stop it. Sin in our lives is one of the, is the thing that can drain you and quench what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do within you. When you follow Christ, 
you say yes to Jesus and the transforming work of becoming more and more like him, living his life. He says that you'll be able to live like I do and will be able to aspire to be more and more like Jesus. If there's something that's going to stop it, it's sin, uncontrolled sin in your life. Unrepentant sin is something that can sink the whole ship. How many of you are familiar with the story of Superman? Yeah, we know, we know Superman. Anybody not know Superman? Okay, good. Superman, when, it's, when he started, the, when the comic book started, was indestructible. There was nothing that could stand in front of Superman. But it gets kind of old after a while if you're always winning and there's nothing that can stop you, correct? So what the writers did is they introduced this substance called kryptonite. And whenever kryptonite was around, it would weaken Superman's powers. It would make him susceptible. It would make him more of man, less super. And so, but it, we see it in the movies, Ben Affleck, and, and he finds kryptonite, and he's kicking Superman's behind all up and down the movie screen. It's, but kryptonite has the ability to weaken Superman. Now, kryptonite comes from Superman's, I'm getting really nerdy here, and I'm a Marvel guy, so I, I apologize. This is really hard. But kryptonite comes from Superman's home planet, I don't know the name of it, comes from the home, Krypt. <laughs> makes sense. <sighs> comes from there and it takes on different forms right kryptonite can be anywhere sin for the believer is our kryptonite takes on many forms and if anything can quench the Holy Spirit's mighty power in your life it is sin unrepentant sin undealt with sin. And some sins that we've quite frankly gotten so comfortable with that we don't even want to talk about. It's what we do about sin. We, we explain it away. We think, it, oh, it's, it's, that's just an old legalistic thing to do. This is fine. Judah does this when, whenever he's doing something wrong. No, 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 mom, mom, dad, it's fine. It's fine. This is fine. I can watch this. It's fine. It's what we do. We begin to justify. It's just a this. It's fine. Oh, it's just one, it's just one click on the porn side. It, it's fine. It, it's just one bit of gossip, and we're going to pray for each other afterwards. It's it's fine. It's just an overly flirtatious comment, and I'm married. It's fine. See what we do. God says, be holy. Avoid the sin. Because if this is the standard and we start accommodating everything over here, pretty soon we're as far away from what God wanted to do with us. And he said, my will for you since the beginning of time is that you be over here. Is that you don't let that stuff zap the life from you. Because that's what sin does. It zaps the life. In Corinthians, Paul talks about this. And he says, people are sinning. They're approaching the table and, of, of communion. They're coming in and they have these sins in their life. And Paul says, it's making people sick. Literally, it's making people sick. He says, sometimes it's, it's weakening them. And in some cases, it's causing death. Sin. Draining the power. In Psalm 32, David says, because of his sin... He was zapped, his strength was zapped because of it, and he felt like he was trapped in the heat on the summer day. 
In the book of James, uh, James the author says, sin, when it grows full grown into our life, brings death. Now, it might not be a death where you die tomorrow, but it might be something where you slowly start dying inside because this isn't the way you're supposed to be living. Sin. It takes away the power of the Spirit that's trying to, uh, to be in you. And Paul says, you've done good with love. You've done good with endurance. Now, stop it. Sin. And this is the great thing. When we sin, First John tells us that when we confess, we have a God that is gracious to forgive. And he makes it like the sin didn't even happen. There's grace to cover. Now here's the thing about grace. When we receive grace, it's not a free ticket to go back and sin more. No, 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 no. Grace means that you live up to the grace that you've been given. I've sinned greatly. You've been forgiven because of the grace. You go in the opposite directions. We repent and go away. You're doing good. We're loving We're enduring, stories of endurance all around. My encouragement for us this year is that we take sin seriously in our own lives. That we take sin seriously in our community. Not so we can push people away, but so that we can see Christ transforming their lives. Because we all sin. We all do it. And there's grace for everybody. There's no sin so good or so big that we push people away. No, we invite them in. Come and be cleansed. Come and experience Christ. Come and meet Him. Pursue Christ from wherever you are and be changed. Sinners, I'm one of them. We're welcome here. But we take it seriously because we want to see God and Jesus worked in the life and we want to pursue Christ through that sin and become more and more whole and holy. We invite people in so they can experience God, community, and wholeness. I've had friends come into town and they've visited and they're friends from California. Uh, one, a couple were pastors and we've had coffee and we're walking around Market Street or just around and I come and I show them this place because they want to know where we meet and they're, they're good friends. And they stop and usually around here they'll go, God's doing something here. And I, I, I can't put my finger on it, but something's happening and, and they're from a different part of the country, and they'll go, Seattle's dark. There's some, there's some and not just weather-wise, there's some heavy things in Seattle. But God is working in this city. And I believe them. I've had these people come in from out of town, tell me this. They've spent maybe a few days here, and they can sense that God is working. And then they'll say this, and this gets me encouraged. And he's going to use Bethany Ballard for this. So get ready. There's, there's going to be some, some resistance because whenever God does something, there's always a form of resistance. That's normal. That's why we have endurance. Uh, he says, so they say, but, but get ready. God's going to use you. And I've heard this from people outside the church. I've heard it from people within the church, within, within this building, within our normal community. I've heard it from people uh, from other locations. God's doing something in this neighborhood and he wants to use Bethany Ballard to do it. And so in order for us to see what God is doing within us, around us, in this neighborhood, endure, love, 
And take sin seriously so you can tap into the power of what God is trying to do here. The other day, New Year's Day, our, our electricity went out about halftime into the Rose Bowl, which was great. And we caught the last, what, four minutes of the game. And uh, New Year's Day is for football in, in the Thayer household. That's it's just what you do when the electricity goes out. And the three-year-old, you have to explain, here's a project for you. Explain to a three-year-old what electricity is and how it went out. <laughs> he didn't get it. And, and, and so we had told him that he'd be able to watch his show when we had dinner so we could watch the game. This is like a distraction tool. And now he can't watch his show and mom and dad didn't download the show onto the iPad. And we have to say, nobody, the power's out. And he goes, internet. We're like, now I have to explain to you the internet. Okay, where's Al Gore when you need him? But the, he invented the internet for those who didn't know. That's what he said. But it's... It's just one of those like, okay, how do I explain to you power, internet, and why it's, uh, let's play a game is what we ended up doing. But, and, and, but what we noticed, or, or what, what Carrie and I started to do is we had everything there that we needed. We just had to find it, right? So we had a flashlight, and that one worked, and we had our phone flashlights. We didn't know how long the power would be out for. We still don't know what caused it. It wasn't windy. And, and, but the power's out. We had candles going because the gas was shut off. Don't worry. Everything was fine. But... I'm looking through drawers, finding the lighter to light candles, and I'm searching, I'm searching. I needed four AAA batteries, and I found three, and there's one more floating around here somewhere. But we're turning the house upside down, looking for this. Uh, This, looking for something that's going to give us power, right? This is the image that I think uh, that, that we have when we're starting to examine our life. Search your life. We're looking for those places that are zapping our strength. We're looking for those places that are, uh, are, are weakening you, the kryptonite in your life. Examine yourself. What's the area where sin is, is way too comfortable? And I think that it's time to deal with it. It's the resolution that Paul gives us. We need to work on this. It's hard. We want to avoid it because it's hard. We don't want to go looking through the drawers because one AAA battery is really difficult to find. But there's something in it. I have them need to be addressed. You have them and they need to be addressed. This year, as God begins to move in our community, what's the, one, what's, what's the place in your life that you're holding on to too tightly? And it's time to let go and say, God, Sorry, but putting myself on the pedestal here instead of what you want. And I'm ready to live in your freedom. I'm ready to live in your power. And so today, before we take communion, I want us to do an examination. When Paul talks about people becoming sick, when Paul talks about losing strength, it was in the context of people coming and examining and taking part of communion and not doing the examining part of their life first. Repenting of the areas of sin and brokenness in your life. And then coming to the table and saying, God, I'm a part of this. Please forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness that we can think of. And even the ones that we can't. He promises that it's there for you. So before we come, before the uh, communion servers come, 
I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. This is the old school way of doing it. It's fine. We'll be good. I'm going to lead you through some questions. First question. How does your life stand out from the lives around you? You follow Christ. How does your life stand out from those around you? Especially those who don't follow Christ. Would people say, and this is not to inspire guilt, this is not to make you feel terrible, would people say that you live like Jesus? How would your life be different if you did live like Jesus? What are some of the habits in your life that need breaking? Some of the ways you've gotten too comfortable. How would a breaking of those habits change the way you interact with people around you? said it this way, maybe you'll say it the same way. Father created me a clean heart. Forgive me from unrighteousness. Forgive me from my sin. Don't push me out. Don't cast me away. out my sins according to your compassion wash away my sins and so father we ask that same thing create us in us a clean heart or we ask for forgiveness I ask for forgiveness that you would make us new Would you awaken your spirit in our lives? The power that you promise us. The gifts that you want to give us. The way you want to use us, God, we ask that you would bring us your promises. So, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. God, as we come to your table, as we come to the to remember sacrifice you made so that we might have forgiveness, would you bring to our minds the areas in our life that need your touch? May we confess those when they're brought to our hands. So search us, Lord. Know us point out the wrongdoing that's within us that we might live according to your will